You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Say hello to my little friend. To infinity and beyond. Like tears in rain. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Tears looking at you, kid. You talking to me? You're gonna need a bigger boat. You'll always have Paris. And welcome back to another edition of Films and Friends. My name's Josh. I am joined as ever by Tobias. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> and we are joined today by our, I don't know what number guest it is because we've had so many now, but we are joined by Sam. Hi, happy to be here. So the way we like to start these, Sam, is just for you to say a little bit about yourself, sort of introduce yourself, uh, how do you know either myself or Tobias, what do you do, that kind of stuff. So I'm a first year zoology student. I know these guys from working in the paper. I do the social media and the marketing stuff and I've really enjoyed it so far. See, this morning I was thinking about the, on paper, not, it's not, it doesn't actually develop how I'm about to explain it, but the power dynamic between us three. On paper, I'm Josh's boss, <laughs> as head of film, deputy of film. Okay. However, Sam is now my boss, because I'm now on the marketing <laughs> team, and you're the head of marketing. So, is that weird <laughs> dynamic, but it's not. I haven't considered equals. that before, now I'm very confused mentally. Yeah, but don't worry about it. Also, technically as well, you're, you're technically, I mean, your design decisions, because you're now on the design team for yes. Um override anything, any ideas we might have. You know, if Sam has an idea for marketing true, something, or true. I have an idea for designing film, you're, <laughs> my brain's going to gonna explode. Either we're all equals or all in charge of each other. It's a it's a doggy dog world out in the Manku. <laughs> my brother used to think that expression was it's a doggy dog world. Yes, I've heard that so many times and I love it. And I explained it to him once and he was so confused that it was dog eat dog. It's like, I don't know what what would doggy dog world even mean? That's what I wanna know. Everyone's just a dog? Yeah. <laughs> I mean if you it's kind think of the of same like, thing. Yeah, if you think of like, you know, rabbit dogs that are just fighting for survival. On that note, actually, we should probably just do a quick question before we start, and I'll, I'll say mine first, I'll put you on the spot here. What is your favourite dog film? And I believe there's <gasps> only one correct answer to this. It's Marley and Me. Oh. Because oh. I, I love Owen no. Wilson, G Jennifer Aniston's fantastic, and it's just a very nice film. I'm going to say something controversial. I've never seen Marley and Me. Have you not? No. I, I can barely remember it. Oh. I just know it's so boring that I can't remember it. <laughs> I'm genuinely offended. Yeah. No, favourite dog film? I think I have an answer for this. Well, you, you go ahead. I'm still trying to think I don't know it. if it counts. Isle of Dogs? Have either of you seen that by Wes Anderson? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that counts. I don't know. Does that count? Wes well, got dogs, it dogs in it. There's dogs in it. A lot of dogs in it. There's lots of dogs in it. So the dog to human ratio is probably a solid 95% dogs. It's true. It's true. It's a, probably one of my favourite Wes Anderson films, actually. Mm, one of mine, too. We will get back to Wes Anderson, though, That's once fine. Tobias I'm just always given... trying to bring the conversation I mean, my here. answer, I'm trying to think, but Airbud is, is oh. pretty terrible yet brilliant <laughs> however i love the beethoven films just because mm. my dad has two saint bernards so you watch beethoven you're like there's no way a dog would be like that intelligent then you get a saint bernard and you realize they are so full of character that they will like they have selective hearing like they will ignore you when whenever they want not because they're like they're dumb but because they're too smart like they don't play fetch because they understand that you're just gonna throw the object out like they, they don't play fetch they understand that it's pointless. That's pretty cool, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're actually very intelligent. The the one thing, here's a dog fact. Oh. The anecdotal dog fact. Anecdotal. Um, is it dogs can't look up? Uh, no. <laughs> they can't? No, it's that some people say that um, it's like some studies show that dogs don't understand mirrors. However, I can, I can say from experience that same Bernards understand mirrors. So say if you're driving 
and you're looking at the road and you talk to the, to one of my Simbronas that's in the back, they will look at the mirror because they want to get the eye contact with you when you talk. And they will do the same in the house. Like you, you can notice them checking themselves out in the mirror. Like they will find a spot of dirt on their leg, for example, and then look down and get it. Yeah, I think it's the same thing with them. I think the one people always talk is elephants. Elephants can recognise their reflections. I think it's the way they can sort of differentiate sort of brain power in animals as whether or not they can do it. And I think elephants are one of the species that can as well. Well, that's quite interesting. Zoology oh student. <laughs> what, what do you think about the, I don't know, Levels. This preconceptions that people have of like animals' brains? Well, I think there's a pretty big understanding that we just like animals because they're pretty cute and we can look at them and take pictures of them. But it's so true. There's so many ways to measure intelligence of a species. Being able to recognize oneself, you're totally right. That's definitely one of them. And then I think the main one that they use is whether the animals can learn from each other. So if you put a lion in a cage and it needs to press a button to get the food, it'll take it a few tries. But if one of its like friends or packmates is watching it, it will get it on the first try. And that's a pretty good indicator of how smart lions are. Mm. There you go. So to take it sort of from zoology and <laughs> Let's back Let's just to stick with zoology, it's fine. Zoology and friends. <laughs> zoology, but wait, no, but before we go to film, I just want to say, I, you know, as you go through uni, you meet people that do all sorts of degrees. And it, some of them, you, you're like, yeah, that sounds fascinating. You learn more. And you're like, yeah, it's actually, you know, it's, it's a bit, bit, you know, bit, bit of a over, I don't know, of over-exaggeration of how interesting it might be. However, zoology, hands down, the <laughs> coolest degree Thank you. out of anyone I know. And I don't know anyone else that does zoology. There, it's only me, actually. You're just the only one on the course. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, honestly, I'd be kind of sick. Thank you. <laughs> so, if we start properly now, so if you just want to name some of your favourite films, actors, genres and directors... Um, so I mentioned him before, Wes Anderson, hands down my favorite director, love the style of his movies, he's always got the same usual suspects in there with actors and kind of plot devices and things like that, I think he's super cool. Um, so that said, I really like Bill Murray, not mm -hmm. just because of Wes Anderson, um, but I just think he's a really good actor. I What's your favorite awesome. Wes Anderson film? My favorite one, I actually think it's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm, good choice. Yeah, it's just the way the puppets are done, the plot's really clever. Um, you know, I'm such a big reader, so I always think that movie adaptations never quite do books justice, but I will go as far as to say that this is maybe better than the book. It's very nice for me to finally have someone who's such a big fan of Wes Anderson. Oh. He's my favourite director <laughs> as well. In my letterboxed bio, I think at the end, it's just like self-confessed Wes Anderson oh stuff. Oh my goodness, why haven't I been here Which I've been just heavily for before. But yeah, I think my favourite one is uh, Scrambled Pest Hotel, because it's my favourite mm. film of all time. Yeah, that's an amazing film, hands down. We've also put a Moonrise Kingdom on here, which is very good as yeah, well. Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom, because when that came out, I was kind of the same age as the two protagonists, Sam and Susie, and I could just really relate to that feeling of wanting to run away and feeling adventurous and young and wanting to do whatever you want. Have you ever watched Bottle Rocket before? I haven't seen Bottle Rocket. I watched it the other night because I was trying to get someone else's opinion of somebody who really likes Wes Anderson because I really wasn't a fan. Mm, okay. It's really like before he ever sort of... It was really... one of his, of his first one. It was one. his first one, yeah, yeah, based on a short film that he made with Owen Wilson and I think it was Luke Wilson as well. And I don't know, it was just like, it was kind of before he got his real style. And I think it just, because it doesn't, because it, the thing about Wes Anderson is they're so stylistic. Right. That, that really adds something to his films and they're very distinctive. Whereas that was sort of a kind of, it felt quite generic. And okay. I think because of how much I like Wes Anderson, it just didn't kind of work for me. Okay. But I don't think it was necessarily a bad film. You just have to go into it not thinking it's a Wes Anderson yeah, 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 film. Yeah, it's exactly. just directed by some guy called Wes Anderson. Mm. Okay, I see that. What's your, uh, do you have any hot takes on Wes Anderson? <laughs> 
Well, no, it, it, it's my it's my embarrassing um, reality, and it's the fact that I haven't seen many Wes Anderson Toby. films. Toby, I know, I know, I, I don't know. I I promise I'll watch one this weekend. So if I if I were to watch one Wes Anderson film this weekend, what should I watch? Oh God! Oh, watch um, uh, what's the one? Well, which have you seen? Um. I saw half of Grand Budapest Hotel. It is a long film. I no, it's not. It's really that. short. It's less than 100 minutes. What? Yeah, no way. it's really short. Yes, yeah, there's a whole tragic story there um, that I've told many times oh, on the yeah. podcast. Oh, Essentially, okay. it was a date and I got kicked out. Oh, no, Toby, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. Darjeeling Darje- 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 Limited. Darjeeling Limited. That's the I was going to say Darjeeling Darje- Limited. Amazing. The, the one to watch when you, when you, if you're into Wes Anderson, the, the controversial one amongst uh, Wes Anderson heads, as I like to call them, is um, have you seen The Life Aquatic? I love Life Aquatic. Yeah, everyone else, like when it first came out, every, like critics actually pilloried it for being long and boring. But I actually really enjoyed it. It's really it. sweet. Yeah, Darjeeling Limited, that's a really good one to start with. Yeah. He's got so many films. That's actually he does. Really He's I, I call him the Tarantino of indie films because he doesn't <laughs> have that many. But when one comes out, it's like the tenth Wes Anderson film. Yeah. What does it, that mean? But well, <laughs> well, the big hype now is um, the French Dispatch. Yes. yes. Have you seen the trailer for I it? I have seen I've the trailer. I've purposely not watched it because I don't, don't want to see it. Really? Yeah, I don't like watching trailers anymore because they ruin films for me. Um, so ever since the from, ever since the from dusk till dawn incident. That was yeah. very angry. Have you mentioned that on the podcast before? Briefly, but basically, From Dust Till Dawn, it was written by Quentin Tarantino yes. and directed by Robert Rodriguez, and it's got a really, really good twist in it, mm. and the trailer absolutely balks it completely, and it's awful. Like, once you've watched the trailer, it's completely pointless to watch the film, mm. yeah. effectively. Some trailers, I think, can be good. That's why teaser trailers are nice, because mm. they're short, they give you a little bit, but not too much, but sometimes you watch a trailer and you just think, well, I've seen the movie now. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind teasers, and... Um, like it's something I've, I've said that um, it, w- what I do with films is I, the only trailer I watch will be either trailer one or the teaser, like the earliest one that comes yeah. out, when it comes out, and I don't re-watch it, and I don't watch any of the other trailers, and I don't watch interviews, I don't watch anything to do with film until I've seen the film. Yeah. Um, I think recently the uh, Tenet one was really good. Like that, Tenet, yeah. that didn't give anything away, but I don't know what that film's about, but it made me think, oh, I really want to watch that. Yeah, I mean, spies and time, you know, tomfoolery. I was going to say another word, but yeah. <laughs> Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan and time. Like That's that's all you need to know. We can expect. <laughs> you mentioned before about saying that uh, Wes Anderson was the Quentin Tarantino <laughs> indie film. Weirdly enough, you have also included have Quentin Tarantino included. on this list, and yes. you've included some interesting... As your favourite Tarantino films of yes. The Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, two films that I didn't really get on with. So I get this a lot because I know there's the kind of classic Tarantino. You think Pulp Fiction, you think Kill Bill. The good ones. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> they, this is exactly what I want to say. Pulp Fiction was so hyped up to me and I finally watched it and I didn't know what the hype was about. Maybe because it had been overhyped, mm-hmm. but I didn't appreciate it in the same way. The reason I liked The Hateful Eight so much is because I love a clever plot. Yes. Everything in that movie is done so deliberately and so brilliantly. He kind of has... Have you seen The Hateful Eight? He's got that... Seen bits of it. Bits of it. Well, he has the kind of Wes Anderson thing where he does it in chapters, like Mm, in Fantastic Mr. Fox. So every little thing of it is just so... You feel like you're watching a completely different movie in every scene. Uh, The the character development... Yes. um, ...in Hateful Eight is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Which is... You you say you you really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Mm. I I thought it was super bland, but one of the things that got me was the lack of character development in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. True. I thought... I actually did notice that, but I think maybe that's... Maybe he was trying to say something about how you can get so just swept up into Hollywood. Like, the whole point of Leo's character in that movie, DiCaprio, he is so stuck in being that 
amazing, cool actor, famous guy that there is no character development. He yeah. wants to just be the characters and the actor people want him to be. He, there's no room for growth. They're yeah, just he, stuck. He isn't a man, it's almost he's like just a groundhog actor. day, exactly, of being in Hollywood. Yeah, fair, fair. I, I see that. Um, but with Hateful Eight, just going back to that, mm. yeah, I just think that film works on every single level. I agree. It's basically all set in one room, and yet the characters develop so much, the plot develops so much, there are twists, there are turns. Oh, great film. But Pulp Fiction, <laughs> saying, saying it's overrated, I agree. Thank you. So the weird thing is, I've... Josh is I've, like, what have we done getting Sam on this show? <laughs> like, I, I've... <laughs> You know, I, I constantly try and be better about how I watch films. Like, you know, try and maybe, you know, I watch now all the films if I watch them at home, I watch them on my TV with all the lights off and it's like almost like a cinema because it's a big TV and all that. Um, wow, okay. And, yeah, the, the flex. <laughs> the flex. <laughs> hey, it was, honestly, here's the tip. You can get a full HD 55-inch smart TV for like 220 quid, 250 quid mm -hmm. off Facebook Marketplace. And, um, we split the cost with my housemates, so like it was like sixty quid each. Mm. That's so good totally fine. Like that's totally reasonable. <laughs> so it's not such a big flex. Alright. Um, I stand down. But yeah, I'm trying to get better about how I watch films. And I try not to like walk away from films, which I, I rarely do that. But pulp fiction, every single time I've tried to watch it, it loses me when they dance in the diner. Because I just <laughs> find that scene so awkward and boring. Mm. And that film just has peaks for me, like the the conversations between um, Samuel L. Jackson and, and John Travolta are brilliant. Are brilliant. Like Their I think chemistry. of them every time. I, every time I walk past McDonald's in my head, I'm like a Royale with cheese. Like that makes me <laughs> laugh. The the whole monologue of you know uh, the, uh, the does he look like a bitch or that. I mean I can say that. that that's yeah, that's fair. fair. But you know it's a quote. It's count. a quote. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, basically that whole monologue as well, fantastic. But then there are other bits which are just so bland and just it dips. Mm. I think the only bit I think, I quite like Pulp Fiction, just to be completely open about that. I think the only bit that gets it for me that loses me every time is the bit in the taxi when it's when um, Bruce Willis' character is fleeing the fight and it's just the weird conversation with the woman in the front of the taxi and that bit is just, that bit is dull. But I think, I, I mean, to be fair, like, I watched Pulp Fiction for the first time when I was about 14 and it was probably like, the first ever, like, proper, like, you know when you sort of... When I first discovered what like the IMDb Top 250 was, it was mm. probably the first like acclaimed film I'd ever gone out of my way to watch, just because I'd heard how good it was. And I think that was sort of a defining moment for me. So maybe there is an element of why I remember it quite fondly. But also I think, I feel like even if it does have, so it does maybe have peaks and troughs, I think the overall plot of it and just the way it was told was, at the time it was quite revolutionary. Yes, and true, I think it yes, has yeah. been, undoubtedly. Like, I think without a film like that, you wouldn't have most of the non-linear storytelling films that are now. Because obviously non-linear now is massive. So every, I'd say at least probably the majority of blockbusters now, especially ones by like really acclaimed directors, most of them are told in a, at least slightly non-linear fashion. True. It's just become a really like good plot device. Yeah, that's something to take into account when you're thinking about how films are, how, how you're supposed to uh, receive the information that's being given to you in the film. Mm -hmm. Stuff like Memento really broke the mold with how films were being told. We said Pulp Fiction also broke that. And, you know, we've reached the point where, say, The Lighthouse. Um, have you had a chance to see The Lighthouse? No. Well... I read your review this, for it, though. Oh, the, the, the Robert Eggers thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so The Lighthouse, without spoiling it, is one of these films that 
you could arguably say that not that much happens. Like, there's not that much character development or like a you know like a traditional story arc because we've reached the point because of films like Pulp Fiction that have taught us that a film doesn't have to be the character you know grows and then falls down and then Gets wins back, uh, and all that. Yeah. So yeah. So so I guess having to consider the impact of something like Pulp Fiction is really important when watching it. True, undoubtedly. And like technically, as you say, you're right, it was so ahead of its time and technically it is a really clever film with those different plots that intertwine and how he like cuts from scenes to scenes. But I guess maybe it was just the plots themselves that lost me a little bit. Also, I think for me, like one of the most defining moments of like sort of watching any kind of film ever it's the first time I've ever, like, you know, like, in a film when it's really so, something so shocking happens, you just start laughing, like, as some kind of stress response. See, that's how I felt during Once Upon a Time, in those last 20 minutes, if you've seen... Yeah. The, oh I, I said before <laughs> on the podcast, like, it's my opinion of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that I sort of go on about this quite a lot, is that the reason it was so well-received is because the beginning's really good, and the ending is fantastic. And everyone in the, loses concentration. In the middle, I can, yeah, I could probably have left the cinema for, for at least... 40 minutes in the middle, come back, nothing anything. bad would have happened. Yeah. But then that's sort of how I sort of see that film. But yeah, the bit at the towards the end of Pulp Fiction, when they're in the car and an event happens where they have to go and meet Harvey Keitel, that bit in the car, I've never been more like just a sort of shock response, just like laughing. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I think I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, that was, Jesus Christ, yeah, that really got me. So I, I appreciate your commitment to not spoiling films that came out 20 years ago or more <laughs> but I wouldn't it's really admirable but the thing is though like because that bit because that bit is so memorable for me like I don't want to rob anyone else of that right now that, that is, that's, that's that is thing. very fair and, and if you know you know yeah if you that's know the type of thing people have watched the film they know what I'm yeah. talking about but if you haven't then I would highly recommend it and watch that scene because it's fantastic so uh, on to genres so you've written anything with a clever plot yeah I just I like to be surprised and impressed and a plot twist is really good um, but a clever plot for me is kind of where lots of genres overlap. Like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't just like to watch a rom-com. I'd like, you know, a bit of this, a bit of action, a bit of plot twisting, a bit of drama. Um, yeah, I think so the more genres, the better. Clever twists. Yes. A lot of people, when they say clever twist, they talk about the one filmmaker that I have just a personal vendetta. Sham again. Shyamalan? Night Shyamalan? Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan. None of us can pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's Shyamalan. One yeah. day we'll do a super cut where all the times people now have tried to pronounce <laughs> like it. Like a bloopers reel. Yeah, yeah. And it'll just be just various mispronunciations <laughs> of that man's name. But yes, I have a... Like a, a, a I vendetta. really dislike him. Yeah, almost okay. a vendetta against him. What's your opinion on, on his stuff? I haven't really seen that much of his stuff, which is so... I, hypocritical of me to say that I like plot twists. <laughs> um, I've he did Fifth Element, right? Uh, uh, no, he did Sixth Element. Sixth, sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Yeah. Okay, not Fifth Element. Who did Fifth Element? Luke Besson. Luke Fair. Besson. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I can't even tell you a single Shyamalan movie. I've have you ever seen, seen like any of Unbreakable, Split, or Glass? No. Unbreakable is quite good. Split's okay. pretty good. Split's Glass. with James McAvoy. Yeah, and then Glass is like the one that brought them the all together. All three of them. And it's not worth watching because it is boring. <laughs> I, I just decided not to. I just straight up didn't. I just don't get how people keep letting him make movies. That's, that's what I find <laughs> weird. It's like, this is the man that in 2008 made a film with Mark Wahlberg where the trees make noise and the wind in the trees makes people kill each other. Like, that's literally the plot of The Happening. Hmm. Well, now I'm not watching that happening. Yeah. Spoiler. I mean, that's literally, it's not even a spoiler. That's just like, what? <laughs> like, they're like, what's going on? Why is everybody fighting? I, I don't know. It's like some kind of virus or whatever. But, but, but yeah, that's the plot. It's people killing each other because of the 
wind in the trees, and it's like, why? That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. It's no. like there's deep, and then there's too deep. I mean, I'm looking at, like, the timeline of what he made, and to be fair, yeah, I mean, he, he yeah, he really had a, a bad run. 2008, The Happening. 2010, The Last Airbender. Oh my god, don't talk to me about The Last Airbender. <laughs> 2013, After Earth, which he... I don't think he... Did he direct? Yeah, he I've directed. been to the set of After Earth. Really? Well, I've been to a set of After Earth. What's the story behind that? In Costa Rica, at the base of one of the volcanoes, is where they filmed some of the scenes for that. Oh, nice. And they had all the... Like, the pod that he arrives in, and the crew just left it there. So if you go hiking around the base of the volcano, you can see it, you can walk in it and stuff. And they tell, like tourists you know oh, that's like from ancient tribes and they're like whoa and it was just from the movie would you like some mental um film trivia from manchester that i'm yes. not sure you know about you can tell me go for it <laughs> did you know that if you go down towards withington and just before you get to withington high street if you turn left onto maldeth road if you walk far enough down oh, that I road noticed. there is a vehicle down there it's the, it's the judge dread yeah land rover yeah I know the story behind that. Basically, that house belongs to the owner, or what used to be the owner, uh, I don't think he owns it anymore, of Antwerp Mansion. Oh, right. Um, and uh, Hannah, uh, my friend Hannah, who used to be the editor of the music section two years ago here in the Mancunian, um, knows knows this guy, and she mm. told me that inside his house, he has all sorts of like movie memorabilia like i don't want to say what what he has because i i don't know i can't remember yeah but yeah like basically like i don't know if he has a stormtrooper suit but like stuff like that like wow. full costumes yeah uh odd posters and those land rovers which another fun fact on top of that um my my dad had a little bit of a hand in that because at the time my dad was uh distributing was the head of um distribution for land rover in latin america mm. for the whole continent and it was the time when that was happening. So he, yeah, he had, he, he was allowed into some of the meetings where they were planning this. And he didn't have any say in it, um, but he was there and he was like, this is, this is some cool stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I remember walking past it when I was going somewhere. Like, that's, it's about, it's before, just before Christmas. And I walked past it and looked at it and said, that looks weird. That shouldn't really be there. And I asked someone else about it and they were like, oh, they explained to me it was from Judge Dredd, which is pretty cool. I've got a nice photo of it somewhere. So uh, just to go back to the genres thing, so when you were talking about clever plots, you were talking about like romance and other stuff, like that's something I like, quite like as well. Mm. And the one that immediately sprung to mind was, have you ever seen About Time? Oh my God, Josh, About Time's my favorite film in the entire world. I know every line to that movie. Yeah, Easily. I, Josh, I, you and I should run this show. Tell me your time's up. <laughs> and I don't just like it because most of it's set in Cornwall, which is obviously my <laughs> homeland, Bias. which I love far too much. But um, yeah, I think I really enjoyed About oh my Time. Goodness. It yes, really got me. Absolutely. It's... It's such a clever film because they do the whole time thing. I don't want to spoil it if no one's seen it. Um, they do it so cleverly. They do it so realistically that mm. you can actually get behind the kind of more sci-fi elements of it. I mean, it's not a sci-fi film, but you know what I mean. And yes, the romance is obviously there. Um, it's great. It's Richard Curtis, right? Yes. I thought that was, you know, because Richard Curtis is, he's your classic rom-com guy, but I thought this movie was just so a little bit more advanced for him. I was really, really happy for him. It gave more depth than just boy-girl-in-love plot. Well, I think that's the thing. I think there's obviously the romance 
kind of element of sort of uh, Dominal Gleeson and I can't remember what her name Rachel is. Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. But I think also there's quite a strong theme in that film about sort of the father-son relationship oh my gosh. with Dominal Gleeson and Bill Nye. That was the Nighy. most emotional for me. I don't know if you cried in that movie. I didn't, no. I'm very bad at crying at films. I, I can't really do it. I was fine that whole movie until one scene with him and his father. And it was just an instant waterworks. It wasn't even building up. It just came out of nowhere and destroyed me. See, again, About Time is a film which I've been wanting to watch for years. I've never got around what? to it. Isn't it on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It is. You it's have really no excuse watch. if it's See, on Netflix. The film I kept getting confused with, it, though, for years was um, About Time and In Time. Ah, the Justin Timberlake one? Yes. You know what? Great g- film anyways. So. You know, I watched it. I watched In Time a couple years back. And it's kind of how I feel about Gattaca. Mm. Great concept, or, or Minority Report. Fantastic concept. Eh, Badly Hollywood executed. execution. Is, it wasn't yeah. even bad. It's just like Hollywood execution where like studio execs obviously went, yes, we want more Justin Timberlake on the screen. Yes, we want these special effects. And you're like, mm. just let the story flow. But, uh, yeah, that's my confusion. So. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. I'm, very, I'm aware of what the plot is. I think it used to be... One of the films I used to like watching when I was younger, it used to be one of the adverts on the DVD. And I was seeing the advert for it, like, repeatedly, but I never actually got around to watching the film. <laughs> I'm trying to think what wow, films I DVD, used to see. Wow, DVD, I remember that. Are there any other, like, a sort of genre-overlapping films that you want to be particularly... you want to bring up? Because I'm, I'm really quite enjoying this sort of thread of films. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, films specifically, let me have a think... I don't know. I guess maybe because recently I've been trying to watch films more for, like, by director mm. and kind of see different tropes that way. Um, oh, I don't know. I just oh, I really liked Man from Uncle. I don't I know. I love if that's, Man from okay, Uncle. Okay, yeah, I really like Brilliant. that. I like films that kind of jump around a little bit where something happens and you think, wait, how did that happen? And then it shows you how it happened and you think, oh, it's really clever. Um, and it's funny, it's witty, there's romance, there's action. Mm. The, it's based off a comic. Yep. So and that element I really liked. Show. Which was then a TV yeah. show. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really clever movie, if you've seen that. I love it. I mean, yeah, there's so many elements in that film that just come together. Yeah. I mean, it's Guy Ritchie. Mm-hmm. So if you like Guy Ritchie, you're going to have Guy a good Ritchie time. Guy Ritchie can be hit or miss, but yeah. I thought this was really good. But yeah, the, the, it's really good. It's self-aware, like the whole time, because... What, what, I'm looking here, 2015, so that was like right when people were falling out of love with the James Bond franchise. Okay, okay interesting. Because it, it was super divisive. Like, Quantum of Solace, I think, is atrocious. Yeah. That was like 2012. <laughs> so, you know, like, you that's mean, when. It was no, time that was, that for was 2008. 2008. Skyfall was 2012. So, there you go. So, Skyfall was also quite divisive. So, yeah, you, you know, thinking of like mid 2010s was when yeah. spy films were kind of stagnated. People liked Skyfall, but it was quite a depressing film. Yeah. So, Man from Uncle brought it all back up, yeah, I think. Right. Like, it's it brought just the fun. sexy back into spy. Yeah, I mean, it's got <laughs> Army Hammer in it, which I love. Henry Cavill is brilliant. Mm, gorgeous. The, the stunt work in this film is brilliant. Like, they really go for it. Mm-hmm. The fights feel fun to watch, but also it doesn't, like, cut away yeah, too much. So you're exactly. not confused about it. And there's a lot of, like, that kind of black humor there where it's, like... Um, yeah, so, you know the scene in the film where... I can't explain it, but someone's like literally catching on fire and two of them are just having a conversation yeah. and not paying attention to it. And it's like, oh, gosh. Brilliant. But it's really good. I like that film a lot. I one more, to rewatch that. One more yeah. film in terms of a really sort of genre, sort of weird, weirdly genre plots. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I want to get Toby's take on this because okay. I watched this last week and I was very confused by it. And as someone who is a, f- a Nicholas Winding Refn fan, have you seen Bronson before? I have seen Bronson. Did you like it? So... 
I finished it and I went, that was too weird for my taste. Yeah, I thought that as well. Too art house. Mm. But, you know, a couple days go by, I just kept thinking about how much fun Tom Hardy must have had playing that character. Because mm. it's just so over... Like, I, I kind of... When I think of Tom Hardy playing Bronson, I think of um, the Joker in the animated, like, Batman mm-hmm. shows. Like, it's so over the top, like, almost jumping out the screen to the point where, like, this is so clearly a, a cartoon character. That's how he feels. Mm. I just, yeah, I liked some of it. I just thought the, I just, I don't know what it is about it. The, the sort of the transitiony bits, the really surreal bits, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, unfortunately. So have, have you seen or heard I of this film? I haven't, no. So, do you know about Charles Bronson? No. So, Charles Bronson <laughs> um, was... Well, he still is. Still, alive. still is. He's basically the longest-serving prisoner in Britain. And basically, he only did, like, an armed robbery in the 70s, okay. but he just kept attacking people in prison and, like, holding governors hostage. So, so they labelled him as super, super dangerous. But if you start reading up about him, there's a couple of different books about him. Apparently, something that he was really good at, for example, he, apparently he was super sweet to kids. Mm. Like, uh, um, he, 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 and he's, apparently he's very good at chess, if I'm mm. not mistaken. So, like, he's actually very, he, he's got, like, a very analytic mind. Right. Anyway, this film is by Nicholas Winding Refn, who, you know, makes artsy films like Drive, Neon Demon, uh, Only God Forgives. And he basically took the Charles Bronson story... And just made it this kind of, almost like the story of, of of the Joker, where it's like just kind of surreal, like a different angle. Yeah, like of. a different angle, where where the point where it's like, a, a character, yeah, a caricature of the man himself. Mm. So it is a very strange film. There's like really weird bits between. So it's sort of like a typical biopic where you just go through his life, but it's interspersed with like him talking to an audience. But it's really surreal. And there's bits where he's like Seinfeld. There's a bit where he has his face like sort of. He's sort of half his face as a woman and the other half of his normal face. And he just keeps like going back and forth yeah, talking to because, himself. Because there's basically like the, the two worlds that mm. you're dealing with. You're dealing with his life where it's like the, the, the um, asylum, the one where he's literally in an asylum, mm-hmm. when he's in solitary confinement. So like everything he's talking about. But then him narrating it is him on a stage. Mm. And that's when he gets really weird because he's yeah. like, you know, dressed half as a man, half as a woman. Interesting. But it's like there's no apparent reason for it. And I usually hate it when films do stuff for no reason mm. and it's just like, you're just being weird. Mm. But in this one, it, 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 it kind of works. It is definitely worth a watch, I would okay. say. But from something that we sort of have maybe slightly mixed opinions about to things that you definitely really dislike. Oh my gosh, I'm ready. So, uh, also, the next thing we'd like to ask people is, can you just name some of your least favourite films, actors, genres, directors, that kind of thing? Yes, I absolutely hated the movie Interstellar. I don't hate movies a lot. Oh no, okay, there's going to be a fight. <laughs> I don't hate movies a lot because I try and always find some kind of a good aspect in films because obviously something has been done for a reason. But Interstellar, just, man, I walked out of that movie theater three times and came back and left again. <laughs> so really didn't like that one. Um, what about I didn't you like? So I don't even know if this counts as a genre, but one of the reasons I don't like the genre of horror is because I don't like movies that are designed to stress you out while you're watching them. I would definitely not recommend any Safety Brothers film. Good to Don't know. Don't do Uncut Gems or Good Time. Yeah. They will probably give you a heart attack. Thank you. They are specifically designed in such a way to stress you out. So, okay, you know exactly what kind yeah, of film yeah. I mean that. Because I like tension, I like thrillers. 
because that kind of makes you excited, but then it always gets cut, and there's always a resolve. But Interstellar, for me, was just one of those where everything kept going wrong. The scene with... I can't remember anything about that movie except for the scene with Matt Damon, and they're coming off of a planet, yes. and he's mm. trying to connect... Oh my god, I left, I walked out. Oh, the, <laughs> the docking scene with the yes. child Yeah, yeah, that's intense. That was awful, awful. <laughs> god, that's, yeah. See, Interstellar, I love it, just because I'm someone who thinks that the space genre is so overdone. Mm. So when it's done well, okay, it really hits. So I'm like, Moon, uh, 2001, of course. Yes. Interstellar. What did you think of Gravity? Sorry um, to cut you off. I haven't actually seen Gravity, because oh, I just thought okay. it, 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 I, it was just kind of like a, Two people in a crisis, and it just happens to be in space. Mm. Like yeah, I, okay, I, I never that. thought it market. I don't know. It was like let's get Sandra Bullock an Oscar. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a similar film that we have sort of, I wouldn't say we have beef over, but maybe some like tofu kind of over <laughs> is um, Ad Astra, which you wrote the review of and yes. panned it, and I watched it over the summer, so I quite enjoyed it. Oh <laughs> yeah. really? Oh, yeah. Gosh. Which Ad Astra I, I felt was a space film that visually. It understands what makes a space film great. Mm-hmm. Story-wise, it was just kind of like this guy has daddy issues. Like that's literally the plot of the film. I thought it was slightly deeper than that. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> I just I thought it was I thought it was a really nice kind of happy medium between not just a really bad space film and not something as completely sort of com- not confusing, but something that isn't as maybe cerebral as Interstellar. Okay. And I think it used space. I think it did use space. It's quite an interesting device. And I think the fact it was uh, sort of people did say, "Oh, it's daddy issues in space," mm. which I feel like was is a bit. It, no, I don't. I don't. I don't mean to insult you here by saying like I don't mean sort of disingenuous in that sense. Yeah. yeah. I just mean it's sort of it's a very it's a very simplistic way of looking at it because it's true. It is yeah. sort of daddy issues in space. Yeah. And I think the sort of space element of it it does work as a device because if you were doing just sort of daddy issues on Earth, it's like the, the space adds the distance, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's kind of used sort of as that kind of being on a different planet to someone, sort of our, our opinions are so diverse, we're on different planets to each other. I think that made it better. Okay. And so I quite enjoyed that aspect of it. But I also like Interstellar as well. Like, I quite like a good space film that isn't Star Wars or Star Trek. See, I, that's why, because I'm a big sci-fi nerdy type mm. fan, so I like all that stuff, mm. which is why then getting something that was so mind-boggling and all about physics and stuff was like, I just want to see some lightsabers. So you know? <laughs> what do you think of... um? Uh, it's a bit of an older genre, but um, alien invasion films. But like specifically... Ridley Scott alien? Uh, no, so stuff oh, okay. like about aliens infiltrating Earth. Oh, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have too much of a press. I've seen Independence Day. Everyone's yeah. seen Independence Day. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I kind of like it when the aliens already there. I don't know if that makes sense. Have you guys seen Super Eight? Uh, no, I, I really not, oh I me neither. Again, okay. the film I've seen seen All right. Um, well, Super It's a really good film. It's about just this group of kids who are filming a little movie on Super 8 film. And they're filming by these train tracks. And all of a sudden, a train goes past, which is coming from Area 51. And it gets derailed because a car crashes into it. And you see one of the boxes has, like, a giant hole in it. And 
something's obviously escaped. Oh, damn. Right, so that it's not really like an invasion, it's just something is there. Yeah. That's why I really like Alien, the Ridley Scott one. Mm. The alien's there. Okay. How are we going to fight it? You don't, Super 8's done in the same way where you never really see it. Okay. Which makes the tension even better. Well, I really recommend that movie. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, but see, film... invasion movies, I, I don't have much well, of no, no, Well, that, I, I meant more of that, yeah, like the okay. alien infiltration almost. Right. Um, the one I love, which, to be fair, is a parody of the genre, mm -hmm. is um, The Faculty. I've never seen I that. I watched it at the cinema um, last year, and <laughs> it's brilliant. Basically, Elijah Wood is in it, oh. uh, among other uh, actors that were big in the 90s. <laughs> it's like the most 90s thing. Like The, the soundtrack is stuff like uh, um, uh, Blink-182 and, and all, and oh, all wow. that. <laughs> and... It's a parody of these films, like Scream parodied the slasher genre. This parodies that kind of like aliens mm -hmm. in, you know, infiltrating people. But it's also actually a really fun film. Yeah. Mm. So, because uh, it, it, it's funny, it's well made. The acting is like really cheesy, but because you know it's a parody, it, it works. But it's not a parody in like epic movie and all that kind of terrible, terrible It's like more stuff. subtle. It's, yeah, very subtle. Okay. Very subtle. Cool. Yeah. Have you ever seen The World's End? The uh, yeah. yeah, I love The World's End. I really liked that one and a lot of people didn't. I liked it a lot more on the rewatch. The okay. first time I saw it, I was like, because obviously I was, I think I, because I think I was going through a period of having just seen Shaun the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Right. And compared to them, it isn't as good. I was going to say, it doesn't live up, but I think on its own, I really like that film. Yeah, it's a standalone film. And I think especially when I watched it, I was a bit older and I managed to appreciate the... Um, the humour. I feel like, especially now, like I've left school, I think um, that kind of aspect of like the whole fact that they're talking about the last night of school when they were all together for the last time yes. and that was meant to be the best day of his life and everything's gone to sort of... <laughs> since then. <gasps> yeah. We'll bleep that out. We'll, that out. <laughs> we'll use an alien sound from that film. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, See, one of my favorite things about World's End is, um, is, is basically when he when they realize that these are aliens, these aren't people. When when they're he's in the pub bathroom yes. and, <laughs> and smashes the guy's head and it just explodes mm. in blue goop mm. everywhere. I love that scene. It's just That's so the, the comedy in it is 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 of course you know um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Like it's obviously Classic. it's obviously brilliant, but it's just it's just the the impact. Of the guy's head against the ceramic is <laughs> so brutal. Yeah. It just, it really shocks you. I love it. It's the thing with, um, there's the specific style of Edgar Wright that I love so much is the really fast cuts he does. Mm. Like where it's, where he's sort of the way he does scene transitions where it just goes really fast. And also, my favourite scene, probably one of my favourite scenes of film ever, is the bit in Shaun of the Dead when they're doing the news report, but he's flicking through the channels. Yes. And he's going, and the best, the bit that always gets you that I go, this is incredible. It's the bit where they're talking about what's happening, and it suddenly goes on to Top of the Pops, and it's um, the Smiths. Yes. And he goes, there's Panic on the Streets of London. Yes. And that just every time gets yeah. me. That's brilliant. Yeah. I'm really yeah. looking forward to his Edgar uh, Wright's new film, which is called Last Night in Soho. This is coming out this year. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I I'm not, not entirely sure. Uh, I, I, I know he's working on it. Mm. I follow him on Twitter. He's actually really interesting on Twitter. He was tweeting some interesting stuff about um, Bong Joon-ho the other day. Yeah, yeah. Quite interesting. we love Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, are we, you, do you really do Twitter, Sam? I do not. You I'm do not. useless with Twitter. You know this. Toby, yeah. as he said, works on my marketing team. And really, I'm just letting him take the reins with the Twitter account, <laughs> as I've done nothing I mean, with it so far. Twitter is this kind of thing where you need to limit yourself. Because yeah. when you first go into it, you're like, 
oh, there's so much funny stuff. So you start following stuff. Yeah. And then you realize there's a ton of people that just retweet rubbish. So you start cutting down on that. Good. And then you start realizing that, you know, you, you follow an interesting group of people and you, you, you really appreciate your, your feed and whatnot. And then you make the mistake of going into replies. Ah. <laughs> it's just aggravating, it's right? It's just, it's bots. Mm. The amount of bots on Twitter is insane. We're a, the Mancunian when we post, I don't know if I can say this, when we post articles, yeah. it's just a, I mean, I know oh, it's no, not that's the same. Fine. We're not no, trolling anyone. No, no, no. That, that is, that, that's a tool. I'm okay. talking accounts that are, there is no just person no running one. it. Have you read a... I know this is a film podcast, but have you read a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed by... Yes, John Monson. Yes. yes. No, I've not so read it. So he gets... There's a fake bot account that's created about him or of him as if pretending to be him. And um, yeah, he just explores that whole thing. It's a great book. It's very interesting. It's about... Um, it was really... It was also ahead of the curve as well. Mm-hmm. So it was written about... It came ages ago, right? Yeah, and it's basically about a book. Yeah. A oh. book about... Um, so uh, Twitter mobs... So the big one he did, the, the sort of inspiration was that woman who was like the CEO of a company or quite high up in a company, and she was on a plane to Africa, and she tweeted something like, I'm just about to get, get to Africa, hope I don't catch Ebola. Yes. And I think she tweeted it to about 12 people, and it ended up being like the top story on CNN, and she Ooh. got fired, and it's talking about how her life was basically ruined by it. And it's sort of the, the sort of drawing parallels between that and sort of like the modern day Sort of Salem witch trials. Yeah, it's basically all about counterculture. And he still talks quite a lot about it now, like even though that book was five years ago. And if anything, it's only got worse since then. But, well, no, cancel cul- bringing cancel culture into it is relevant because something we uh, we might have touched upon, but it, it's interesting how stuff like, um, say, Marvel and Disney having to preserve their image mm. and being trying to be as squeaky clean as possible. <laughs> um, and then stuff like the whole drama with James Gunn. Mm. That was a complete issue. Where, where basically he, he made some inadequate jokes like over 10 years ago. It was quite a while ago, yeah. It was a while ago. And cancel culture, you know, woke Twitter, made it resurface, uh, made him look bad because of it. And Disney were like, well, yeah, you're not doing Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or whatever other film he's doing next. And then... They brought him back, and I don't know. It's... In the grand scheme of things, as well, like if you look at what the jokes were, they were they were they weren't good things to be saying. They were juvenile and they were ignorant. Yeah. But they weren't like it was nothing. It was nothing that deserved to have that kind of sort of punishment in no. that sense. It was nothing that was deliberately sort of antagonistic, like homophobic or xenophobic or like really badly no. ableist. It they were just bad jokes. Yeah, sure. Uh, but bringing it back <laughs> to the show. Um, so we, we've talked about stuff you like, stuff you don't like. But what about stuff you watched as a kid? So I mentioned I like sci-fi a lot. That was probably it for me because my dad, my mom's favorite genre is horror. That's not really suitable for children. But my <laughs> dad was a massive like Trekkie growing up. He watched the TV show, went to the movies and stuff. So Star Wars, Star Trek, all of that growing up. When the 2009 Star Trek movie came out that J.J. Abrams did, that movie holds such a dear place in my heart. And you were talking about daddy issues in space. Mm. Have you guys seen that Star Trek film? Uh, it's the, the first. The first J. J. with Chris Rollins. Pine and Zachary Quinto. No. Well, really good film. And you've kind of got daddy issues in space in that <laughs> one, too. Um, so maybe it's like a regular thing. Mm. <laughs> but I think that movie's really, really good. Well, the one you have on the list, which I want to bring up, is Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. Amazing stuff. Wh- which ones do you enjoy the most? Gosh, I always change my mind about this, and then I do a marathon, and I'm just like, 
All of these are so good. Um, I think the first one, the first one's just such a classic. I love the first the one. The plot's really clever. Mm. Um, there's romance. It's great. The first one's just reliable. You can never watch that film and be in a bad mood. Which one's the one, and you'll know this better than any of us, the one where Jack Sparrow is alone on the island and the crabs bring the, the third one. Him. Yeah, that that's was just weird. World World's End. End. I think that's probably my favourite one. See, the whole thing with the crabs and the ship, I think is just so weirdly surreal <laughs> to the point where it's like, was, it's just too surreal. Because who directed the third one? Was It wasn't Guy Ritchie, no. I don't, didn't Gore Verbinski do them all? I think Gore Verbinski, yeah. I think he did all three of the original ones. He did all three, okay, fair enough then. What are your opinions on like the latter ones? The fourth one... It was okay. Um, I get that they wanted to keep the franchise going. Mm. I liked the fourth one more than the fifth one. I've never, I never bothered watching the fourth one. Didn't redo anything for me. Okay, so the fourth one's good, but it doesn't have you know Will and Elizabeth mm. and all that. So it was just kind of Jack's going through a bit of a midlife crisis and doing his own thing. So the fourth one, in terms of plot, felt like a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Mm. The fifth one had great potential. But I don't know who was writing it because there are so many lines in that movie that just make you cringe and you just think, you know, this is really nice because what's happening feels like Pirates of the Caribbean. It feels like the franchise could really keep going and it taps into the nostalgia. But just some of the, the jokes or just the conversations and the commentary really did not work. Especially as having someone, I mean, I haven't seen it, but I have heard only, I've only heard bad things about it, so it's not something I would okay. really want to seek out. But I think especially when you have the talent of someone like Javier Bardem as a villain, oh, yeah, like absolutely. it should be impossible to mess that up. Because he has been, in, like, if you think of uh, No Country for Old Men, which we talked about last Amazing week. Amazing movie. And talked about, uh, and Skyfall as well, which you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. He's fan- he, like, he is fantastic. I, I, I love him in Skyfall. He is fantastic in that as well. He's really good. And to be able to absolutely sort of get, to sort of waste that potential mm. is if anything, it takes more talent to waste the potential <laughs> than to actually like live up to it, surely. It's true, it's true. The script really was what let that film yeah. down. Because if you can't get behind what the characters are saying, you can't get engaged with anything. So, mm. but yeah. We also have talked at length on the podcast before with various different people about sort of... Because me and Toby aren't that big Star Wars fans. Okay. What is it about Star Wars that you do enjoy? Um, well, like you with Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. it's just quite a personal thing, yeah. which is why I enjoy it. Um, but I like it. I think in terms of science fiction, it was one of the first kind of things that really wowed people. And it was a franchise. It wasn't just a cool science movie. It was this whole thing of having three parts. And then I don't like talking about the next three parts, but <laughs> the ones that just came out were okay. Um, it was just a whole thing that got so many people involved. Um, specifically about the films, mm. I, c- I couldn't tell you just the characters and the spacey stuff about it. I, it's hard to explain. If, if you're a sci-fi fan, you just get it. That's the only... If you know, you know. Well, <laughs> Josh, Josh has just turned to me with a concerned look. See, the sci-fi... The, yeah. the issue hardcore sci-fi fans will have, which I don't want to be um, a dick about genres. People are like, well, that's not horror. Horror is such a malleable genre. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi... Cats was horror. Ca- Cats was <laughs> definitely horror. Um, but look, sci-fi, um, I'm willing to kind of be a bit more restrictive about. Okay. Because there are certain things which you can really say, well, that's fantasy and that's sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Because there has to be an element of science, quote-unquote. Like, I'm not saying you have to Interesting. adhere okay. to so the physics. Star Wars is more science-y fantasy. Yeah. Or like, yeah, okay, I see that. I yeah, see yeah, that. because... 
because it, say Interstellar, Interstellar like is built around. It's realistic. It well, it's not. It's not necessarily realistic. I mean, it kind of is mm. in a way, to but, an extent. To an extent, but but sci-fi films they don't need need to be realistic, but they need to at least have a certain cohesive quote-unquote science to them. A universe where everything works in a certain way and it's kind of explained. Whereas Star Wars, it's more like the forces... Well, Mac- the Ma- Matichlorians. Is that what they're called? The ridiculous thing from the first... The Phantom Menace, they tried to explain it. Again. But they never mentioned it again. I don't talk about episodes Oh, yeah, that the force was actually like tiny little... Yeah, and you have them in your blood and you can test people for them. Hang yeah. On. I, as a Star Wars fan, have no affiliation with episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> See, so let's brush sounds... over that. But I do... Sorry, go ahead. So, you know, basically, I was just going to say, that sounds like Star Wars trying to do sci-fi. Yeah. And then failing terribly. I think what a lot of people labelled it at the beginning, which... And I actually don't... I quite like the, th- the original three. It was originally sort of referred to as kind of like a space opera. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like... It was pretty much a, uh, tra- a traditional story told in space, mm. which I feel like that more than to label it... As, as, as Toby said, I don't want to be a dick about genres either... But to me, it doesn't feel like sci-fi that much. So what I'm going to counter that with, I also really like dystopian fiction. Mm. Um, And I've studied dystopian fiction in literature as well as film. Um, And I think that dystopia is the genre where you have something that is believable it's plausible there's yes. it's something that could you could see happening either because of the scientific foundations or because of a societal thing like mm-hmm. the handmaid's tale is dystopia because it could well in an extreme it could happen mm-hmm. but i wouldn't say it's science fiction for me i guess science fiction is that step past dystopia mm-hmm. it's more than plausible it's fantasy it is something yeah. that seems really surreal so for me, that's I think what you think of sci-fi is what I would think more of as dystopia. Interesting. So what's your take on um, cyberpunk? Do you enjoy cyberpunk as a genre? I really don't know enough about it to have too much of an opinion. I've been to Comic-Con before, and I see there are masses of people in the cyberpunk get-ups, and I think it so looks super, now. super awesome. Yeah, mm. it is. Um, but no, I wouldn't have enough of an opinion. Well, what's interesting about cyberpunk is that it's basically that middle ground between sci-fi and dystopia. Okay, now we're getting uh, somewhere. Well, middle ground, if not the perfect combination of the two. <laughs> um, I'm currently reading, I know films, but books. Hey, mm. books import- are like important. Books. books with um, friends. <laughs> books with friends. That is a whole podcast in itself. Um, the book I'm reading now, per my brother's recommendation, is um, Neuromancer by William Gibson. Mm. That is a novel, um, a cyberpunk novel. And one of the issues with the book, quote unquote, is that if you've never watched a cyberpunk film or don't understand certain things about the cyberpunk world, mm-hmm. like the people who would have read that book when it released, it makes no sense. Okay. He was the first author ever to think about the Matrix as cyberspace that you can enter. St- uh, crazy stuff like that. He talks about... Uh, augmented human beings, you know, we're, we're mixing cybernetics with with their body, and there's holograms, and there's all sorts of crazy surgery that completely changes the fluids in your body mm. overnight and stuff like that. And it was so ahead of its time. But I think you'd love it because it's all about societal collapse cool. in an overburdened system. Uh, kind of like we live in now. <laughs> Does cyberpunk kind of go into, like, anything with, like, cyborg characteristics or yeah really? so okay. have you seen blade runner 
I've seen the Blade Runner new one. 2049, which yeah. is fantastic. Mm, really good. Um, that is cyberpunk. Okay. Blade Runner oh, was one okay. of the first cyberpunk films. See, I films. would have thought that more to be dystopian, because it's like, cool, this is a fate for humanity that I could potentially see in an extreme environment. Yeah, so cyberpunk but it's would more kind cyberpunk. of be a subgenre of dystopia, because cool. dystopia, Hunger Games is a, is a dystopian film. Is it dystopia? Film, yeah. But it's not cyberpunk, so Got there's that you. distinction okay. there. Okay, so it's like, okay, all right, I see that. On the um, subject of dystopia, something I watched the other day that I just wanted to talk about because it was just I just didn't couldn't get into it was I watched Viva Vendetta. I've been wanting to read that for a long time. Yeah, no, the film is really strange. Should I just watch the film? No, God no. Oh. The film is so. The thing about the film that confused me the most is because it was made in the mid noughties in the UK. It is shot in exactly the same way as Love Actually. Mm -hmm. it, what? Vi visually, no. If you compare like the cinematography of Love Actually to like, especially the bits that aren't like the really dystopian bits. If you compare the cinematography of Love Actually to the film we were just talking about, which has completely slipped my mind, <laughs> which was *Viva uh, Vendetta*. <laughs> it looks so similar. It really creeped me out. It just has that so really weird, vision. like mid noughties kind of like bland palette. Real realism, London, yeah, they modern one thing. color and go for that color. Yeah, it's really strange. See, also, I'm, it was far too long. I'm looking here, and uh, the same director, James McTeague, did Ninja Assassin, and I remember watching that on my PSP. I pirated it. That film has yeah, you can laugh. What a it's time terrible. To be alive. But it has one of the most like brutal action ideas, where basically th this guy who is a ninja assassin. I mean, I can't remember much of the plot. Ninja assassin. One of the things about him, and it was all in all the promo material, was that he had these um. These curved knives, um, so they were like C's looking outwards, so with points outwards, on chains. So he, so he'd you know cut people up and fight with them in his fists, but then he'd like be able to whip them. And there's one scene where he's fighting this bad guy, or maybe the bad guy had the knives. I can't remember. But basically, one guy with this knife whips it forward and rips a guy from the stomach upwards. Christ! And that image is stuck in my head as like brutal Gross. action. Yeah, the action sequences in Viva Vendetta are quite good as well. I think it is just really overlong, and there are really strange. Like the, there are just bits which you just didn't, don't need. It was written by the Wachowskis. Have Interesting. you guys seen Kingsman? Yes, I really like Kingsman. I like Kingsman too, and I think Kingsman actually has some real violence in it, but because it's kind of masked with either funny music or a funny... Oh, the church scene. The church scene You're is talking about horrendous. The church scene. I'm talking about the church scene. I'm it's talking about brutal. the scene in the beginning where she slices the dude in half with her razor feet or whatever. There's so much violence in that movie, but it doesn't... It's You wouldn't think of it as a violent movie. So I guess there's ways to, like, maybe get the around way, that. The way Kingsman fits all that violence in is, is really quite something. Mm. I think it has to do with the colour palette. Mm. So Kick-Ass is gritty. That. Well, Kick-Ass is, is, is by Matthew Vaughan. Yeah. And it's visually gritty. So anytime something violent happens, you're like, what, even though the tone of the film is kind of comedic, you're like, well, it looks like this violence should be happening. Whereas Kingsman is so bright. Well, there's an interesting story about that, actually. Yeah. And I will spoil the end of the film now, so if you don't want to hear that, you can just, turn, just mute it for about a second or so. Oh, 30 seconds. Um, the, in the end, when all the world leaders' heads explode, yes. it was originally going to be done properly, so their heads would actually explode. But they show it to test audiences who were so repulsed by yeah. it, they had to change it to the little, like, colourful sort of mushroom clouds. I mean, I... Because it'd be too weird. It works. I agree. Spoilers over, by the way. I'm not squeamish, but I think... Yeah, that that yeah, artistic completely. decision. <laughs> That's would what really... I mean. Like the violence is, they cover it up with 
something that's a bit more lighthearted. I mean, it already is super violent. Like in the second film, in Kingsman 2. I've only seen it once. The, the, the one thing that stuck out to me is when the guy gets thrown into the meat, like the, the <laughs> oh, meat mincer. Oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Just straight up. But it's not like he's thrown into it and just land. Does he just land in it or does he get like shoved into it? Whatever it was, it was pretty brutal. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I know, something clever about Matthew Vaughn there. But for V for Vendetta, just, just going back to that for a second, I, I saw you tweeting out about it. And you were saying that the, the, the way the Guy Fawkes mask is now understood in popular culture. Oh, that was Because yeah, Anonymous used tweet was. it. Yeah. And then it kind of. Anonymous in itself already a bit of a meme because it's like these guys are a bit, you know. Neckbeards wearing masks, but then it literally just became a meme where it was just neckbeards wearing V for yeah. Vendetta masks. Uh, well, guy, you know, Guy Fawkes, but people would be like, "That's the V for Vendetta." It's like, well, it's Guy Fawkes. What's your like reasoning behind that? I mean, it was it was semi a joke to be fair, but also it's kind of true that it just has such weird connotations now. Between they do it really well on the um, on uh, the final ever episode of the IT Crowd, where <laughs> yes. they're basically have you seen it? Mm. So, uh, sort of, just to briefly explain it for anyone listening, it's the fact that um, so the three main characters of the IT crowd get sort of cancelled in inverted commas, and the whole plot of it is there is a, a guy in an anonymous mask, sort of like terrorising them throughout the film. He's a really deep voice; it's all distorted and it's like out to ruin their lives. And at the end, it transpires that it's just like a fourteen-year-old whose mum comes in, tells him to stop being stupid, and come down for dinner. And it's just that kind of because it has such a weird reputation now as just a very just very sort of, just people just wear it for the sake of it and they sort of think that they're part of Anonymous if you put on a bit of distortion and say sort of certain things. It just, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of, oh, just, it's like the whole hackers thing. It just seems, it just is very juvenile to me. And yeah. it just looks like a meme now. And it just kind of did like a full circle and, and, and in, in Spain at least when um, La Gase Babel, which was translated to Money Heist, mm. which is such a dumb translation. It is, that's not even close. No, but basically... For that show, the iconic imagery that they went with, which, to be fair, the first two seasons worked together as like a like a full story, and then season three is atrocious. They wear red jumpsuits with Dali masks, but the Dali masks are very, very similar to the Guy Fawkes mask yeah. for V for Vendetta. And, of course, you watch it in the show, and you're like, oh, that kind of reminds me of V for Vendetta in a way, but it's cool. Like, it works. Yeah. And then people start wearing them for costumes, and it was like the basic costume, which is like, fine... And then the last year, the, the riots happened in Barcelona, and I found it just so cringeworthy seeing all these people that, mm. like, rich kids from Barcelona wearing Dali masks to burn stuff. And I was like, you, this is just sad. I mean, if you go to, if you sort of, if you decide to go to any, uh, so this Halloween, if you w wandered around a load of house parties, you're bound to get some sort of, some white guy in a Joker. suit <laughs> with, oh, no, well yeah, that someone's going to do that as well, but some white guy in a suit with an anonymous mask on, thinking he's like some kind of, just it's that kind of thing. It's still a thing. It is still a thing, it just doesn't work for me. Weirdly actually, you say it, the Joker thing, I was on a bus on, um, it was this, uh, this uh, Halloween, and I was wasn't actually going out for Halloween, I was going to a bar to meet my friends, and there was someone sat behind me who was actually... Oh no, no that's, yeah, someone sat behind me on the bus, I walked past another person, so there are three people from my house to, I think it was footage I went to, that were dressed like Joker this <laughs> oh Halloween. God. That was weird. And what's funny is that the Halloween, maybe before that, or maybe one year before, it was all about Harley Quinn and the Joker. That mm. couple's costume was oh, everywhere, and all of a sudden, it's back. Yeah, I mean, now it's back <laughs> with... <sighs> Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, True. but uh, Phoenix Joker in a weird way. Mm. 
But I think we've exhausted our, our time. I know you wanted to go over Little Women, but we have little time, so we cannot talk about the Little Women in the oh. little time that we have left. Well, so, next time. So just before we finish, is there anything you'd like to plug? Any causes, your own social media, anything like that? Um, my own social media? Maybe. S. Bronheim? Why not? It's a great Instagram account. But, <laughs> I mean... I'll support the MMG lifestyle. Follow us on the Mancunian. Our Twitter is now finally good. Uh, we're just the Mancunian on everything. But it's been really nice. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Hopefully, I'll come on. back. My pleasure. Yeah, we, we're gonna have to do like a returning guest. Yes, we haven't done that yet. And add a new question to the forum is like, what did you not talk about that you wanted to talk mm. about? We should also do a. You can recommend each other a movie the others haven't seen, and then we can come back and a talk about it. A movie club type thing. A yes. movie club. Yeah, that's hard to coordinate, especially <laughs> in final year of uni doing dissertation and stuff here. But First year, can't yeah, relate. Yeah, you see? <laughs> I do zoology. Like, it's true, I have a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at Josh Sandy and on Instagram Letterbox at Josh W. Sandy. You can find me on every social media or as Tobias Soar and also. I am now behind the Mancunian Twitter account, so there you go. there's that secret. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. See you all soon.